Podcast One production. Hello, welcome to my series, Koshi's Property Ladder, where I focus on the tips and tricks you need to know if you want to climb the property ladder. In this episode, I'm going to take you through the golden rules for property investment. In other words, becoming a property investor, where you buy a property but don't live in it. Instead, you have someone else living in it and gradually paying the property off through their rent. With interest rates down and rental income high in most capital cities, residential investment property is attracting increased attention. Of course, this attraction can be magnified for people on high tax brackets who can use the benefits of negative gearing. More on that later. But even without these tax benefits, a direct investment in property should prove rewarding if you're informed and prepared. As you'll know by now, investing in property is a really big commitment. It takes a lot of cash, you're in it for the long term, and the investment is very illiquid, meaning you can't sell and get your money back overnight. So before you jump into this kind of commitment, here are some things that you need to take into account. First, be prepared to be invested in the property for at least five years or longer. This means doing your homework and deciding if you can realistically hold on to the investment for that much time, considering all the ups and downs that it could involve. So start building in a safety fund for periods where the property could be vacant, maintenance costs, and also your personal income projections. Secondly, try to maximise your capital gains by buying below the average market price. To do this, you need to get to know your target area and how much properties sell for there. This will help you learn how to recognise a bargain when it comes up. Also, learn to identify a property's renovation potential, its prospects for rental or resale. I go into more detail about what I call appropriate renovations in another episode of this series. Thirdly, invest in the right area. Property is all about location, location, location. Look for access to transport, schools and shops. Check on the capital appreciation of similar properties in the area. Also, exploit seasonal variations. Do your homework and find out if your area sells more at certain times of the year than other times. Buying at the right time of the year can save you a lot of money. The same with assessing long-term cycles. Get an accurate picture of the market's current position in the price cycle. Buying in a depressed market can produce some long-term bargains if you're confident an upturn is approaching. As I always say, research all aspects thoroughly. Knowledge is power. So find out all the information and combine it with the best analytical tools so you use the information consciously to reduce risk and increase returns. And look, I've never been a fan of buying an investment property 
that you can't physically get to easily, be it interstate or overseas. I know professional property investors will buy around the world and get someone else to manage it, but if I'm committing a lot of money into a property, I'd rather be close by just in case anything goes wrong. Now, some people will become a property investor on the way to becoming an owner-occupier. It's called rent vesting. This is where someone can't afford to buy a property in an area they want to live in. So instead, they do one of two things. Number one, they rent in a property in the area they like and buy an investment property in a more affordable area which they rent out to tenants. Or secondly, they buy a property in the suburb they like and then rent it out so tenants pay for it. They then rent in a more affordable suburb until they can afford to move in to their dream house. Either way, it's not a bad plan for those caught in the dilemma of not being able to afford to buy where they want. When buying a property, there are two main types of title you purchase a property under. The first is what's called a company title. As the name suggests, this form of title operates in much the same way as a company would. The apartments represent shares in the overall complex. Its original aim was to maintain a level of exclusivity among owners. To do this, owners meet and vote on whether or not a prospective tenant is suitable enough to be allowed to rent or buy the unit for sale. With this sort of title, you may even need permission to carry out renovations inside your unit. If this is the case, check the title thoroughly before buying because you're likely to be stuck with existing restrictions. The title is usually a fairly strict document and unless you can get the owners of the block to agree to the changes before purchase, you'll need a 75% majority to change it. In a large block of units, that can be an absolute nightmare. Now, the alternative to company title and the more popular legal structure these days is a strata title. In fact, except for continuing use by retirement village operators, very few company titles have been issued since strata titles began. Strata effectively separates each of the units into allotments and gives the owners separate ownership to do what they please. But still tread carefully. Common areas are still administered by a body corporate and the title on strata properties is binding. So check for additional clauses inserted at the request of all tenants. Like in one block of units I know, the strata title states that the clothesline can't be used because it detracts from the beauty of the garden. Crazy, I know, but you get these clauses sometimes, so watch out. So let that serve as a warning to get a copy of your particular strata title so you know where you stand should there be any arguments. Due to their restrictive nature, company units can sell for up to 20% less than their strata cousins. First things first though, there are different rules to follow if you're buying an investment property than if you're buying for yourself. 
property investors usually prefer medium-density housing, like a home unit or townhouse, because the hassle of maintenance is mostly handled by a corporate body. Whereas if you buy a freestanding house, either you'll be responsible for the maintenance costs and management, or you'll have to hire a real estate agent to manage it for you. Townhouses are potentially a safer investment too. A savvy real estate friend of my father's once told me that one-bedroom units are the best investment because they're rented by singles or working couples who look after the property better than a bunch of people sharing a three-bedroom place. Also, avoid unit complexes that are specifically aimed at investors because this can have a detrimental effect on the overall building. You see, traditionally, owners living in the property are more likely to take pride in their investment and be more active in the corporate body than tenants who aren't likely to be so careful. So ask around about who your neighbours are in the block before buying. If you're looking at an investment unit, you'll generate profit in two ways, capital growth and income through rental. In some ways, both are linked. A property which is easily rented will appreciate well because it's in a good location. When it comes to rentability, make sure the property is presented in a way that attracts the widest possible number of potential tenants. Try not to specialise as you'll only reduce your potential market. Now, owning an investment property also means being a landlord. And let me tell you, the person who rents your property will determine whether it's an investment dream or a nightmare. If the tenant pays rent on time and looks after the property, then your investment will most likely do very, very nicely. But if the tenant regularly misses rent payments or trashes the place, you can say hello to your worst financial nightmare. And unfortunately, for many first-time property investors, a bad tenant becomes the first taste of the harsh reality of being a landlord. And you'll soon find out that while you may own the property, the odds can be stacked in favour of the tenant when it comes to a dispute. The secret is finding the perfect tenants and then keeping them for as long as possible. So how do you become a landlord without the tears? First up, understand your rights as a landlord. Make yourself familiar with the appropriate Landlord and Tenant Act in your state. They're different from state to state. To fully understand your rights and obligations as well as the tenants. Secondly, rent it out at the right time for the best price. Like anything else, there's a good time to rent and then an even better time. The difference can mean an extra 10% on the rent, which will build up over the life of the investment. Peak renting time is late spring and early summer. This is the time when school leavers are most likely to cut the cord with mum and dad to venture out on their own. 
and when most interstate business transfers happen. In the depths of winter, there can be a shortage of people renting and therefore rents can drop to make the property more attractive. It also depends on supply and demand. And that's how many vacant properties are available and how many potential tenants are chasing them. And when it comes to choosing your tenant, tread carefully. Your screening process should be formalised with the right application form, which outlines the renter's financial history as a wage earner, tenant and bill payer. It must have an area where references can be nominated and you must must follow them up. The best references come from employers, bank managers, and previous landlords. So those references are vitally important to understand if the tenant is the right fit. And of course, the biggest pitfall for any landlord is the tenant whose rent goes into arrears. The process to retrieve that rent changes from state to state. For example, In some states, a formal notice can't be issued until rent is 14 days in arrears. Then another two weeks grace has to be given for payment. So the earliest you may get a hearing at a residential tenancies tribunal could be six weeks down the track. Yet the maximum bond tenants have to pay is four weeks rent. So that could leave you potentially two weeks out of pocket. Even then, while a hearing can result in an order to pay, it's not necessarily collectible straight away. So you see what I mean now? A bad tenant can be both an emotional and a financial nightmare for a landlord. If a tenant leaves before the end of the agreed tenancy, the tenant should be liable for rent until new tenants are found. And while a tenant can end their tenancy by giving the owner 21 days notice in writing, the owner has to give at least 60 days notice in writing if they want the tenant to leave. If the tenant disputes the withholding of bond money, you may find yourself in front of a magistrate. But if the paperwork has been done properly, you're more likely to win your case. Also, as a landlord, You should also make it a priority to hire a good handyman. Good tenants, look, they're sensible and will just do things themselves. But you just never know what sort of tenant you'll get. When the tenant moves in, make sure they sign a property condition report that shows you both agreed on the condition of the unit when the tenant moved in. It should include notes on things like crack ceilings, torn fly screens and stained carpets, and list what's in the property, like light fittings and curtains. If anything does break and you're handy or enjoy pottering around, you may be able to do all of the maintenance yourself. If not, organise that handyman to do the odd jobs for you, but make sure their prices are competitive and don't scrimp on repairs. The look and condition of a rental property is a big factor in determining what rent can be charged. So it is important to keep your property in good nick. Remember that maintenance expenses can be offset against rental income 
for tax purposes. I'll cover the tax side of property in the next couple of minutes. So you've probably gathered by now that being a landlord isn't simple, so getting a property manager might be your best option. It's often best to let a good local real estate agent manage it for you for a monthly charge, which is usually between 5 and 12% of the rent. The property manager lets the property, collects the rent and disposes of it. That could mean putting money into the landlord's bank account or paying rates, taxes and insurance. The property manager will also maintain the property, organise for repairs to be carried out and produce a monthly statement setting all the details needed for tax purposes. The manager usually sets a reasonable monetary limit that can be spent on behalf of the owner without permission, say $250. So make sure you choose the right property manager and have a good ongoing relationship with them. Now, for many, a critical part of investing in property are the tax advantages from negative gearing. So finally, let's cover off tax on property. If you live in your own home, it's your principal place of residence, any appreciation in value is not subject to capital gains tax when you sell it. Any gains are tax-free. On the other hand, an appreciation in value of an investment property is subject to capital gains tax. That's where the difference between the purchase and higher sale price after the cost of buying and selling, is taxed at your marginal tax rate less a 50% discount. If the value of the property goes down, a capital loss has occurred and can be offset against any future capital gains from other investments. Any rental income from the investment property is also taxed at your marginal rate each year, but that income can be offset against interest paid on loans against the property and costs of running and maintaining the property, things like council rates, maintenance costs and the like. If the interest payments on the loans plus the costs of running the property are higher than the income received from rent, this negative gap as in negative gearing, can be offset against other income earned to reduce a taxpayer's overall income tax bill. Now, a lot of investors see this negative gearing as a good way to reduce their overall tax bill. But I've got to admit, I reckon the advantages are often overstated and the more important focus should be getting the right property and maximising its investment return. Now that brings us to the end of this episode on the golden rules for property investment. And I hope I haven't turned you off property investing by covering all the pitfalls of being a landlord. I just want you to go in with your eyes wide open. Because let me tell you, it's not all doom and gloom. Property can be a great long-term investment when approached sensibly. So like I said earlier, commit to a five-year plan minimum. Longer is even better. And if you do plan on managing it all yourself, 
be prepared for some hard work. And don't forget to find that perfect tenant. If you want to learn more, head to the Your Money and Your Life website. There are articles and some more great hints. That's ymyl.com.au. Thanks for your company and good luck taking the next step on the property ladder. Koshy's Property Ladder was presented by David Kosh and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Melody Ruiz. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. Sound production by Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au. Download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Koshy's Property Ladder podcast.